0: Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The opening of this chapter, well, it's the middle part of the Sermon on the Mount, which stretches from chapter 5 through 7, as Jesus teaches to his disciples at least, but also perhaps to the crowd around them. Chapter 6 opens in what seems to be a conflict with chapter 5, verse 16, where Well, 13 through 16, where we're to be the salt of the earth, light of the world, city on a hill, all these things so that others will look to us and see what we're doing. And here we're told the opposite. Don't do that. So what's the difference? In chapter 5, verse 16, we're told the reason why we're doing the good works. It is so that the others may see us and glorify God who is in heaven. Our good works are not to point to me, myself, and I— our good works are to point others to Jesus and to who he is and what he's done for them so that they also can have faith and that they can too worship Jesus and get to be in paradise. Whereas what these are doing here in verse 1 and the warning of Jesus is don't do these things in front of other people in order to be seen by them for me. And so the warnings throughout this text then are, you know, giving to the needy, praying, and so forth. These are good things to do. You should give to the needy. You should pray. But don't do them so that people notice you. We give to the needy so the needy is cared for, and so that they might thank God. We pray so that the petitions of our prayer would be answered, and so that the people who we pray for would be helped. We don't do these things to gain respect in this world. We don't do these things to make people like us That's the thing that Jesus is attacking with this section. So they're giving to the needy, but they're sounding the trumpet. They're making a display of it, a big deal. Hypocrites gets used here in this chapter a few times. The the word hypocrite from Greek literally is from the idea of, of, of a play, playing a role. So as you think of an actor in a movie... That's the literal picture of a hypocrite. So basically, this is the person who is pretending to be Christian, who is pretending to be faithful to God, even though really, they're not. And that's what's happening here. They've received their reward. They've been praised by others. It's an earthly earthly reward, though. It does not come from their Father in heaven. So what does he tell us to do instead? When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This is pretty simple to actually visualize, and you can do this with your kids, right? You can take something into a hand, and you can just use that one hand to give it to your child. It's pretty simple, easy to do. But if you take that same small item into both of your hands, now you have your hands kind of cupped together. It's, it's looking an awful lot like you're making an offering and lifting something up to be seen. That's the point here again. The needy are in need, and we are to care for them. This is good, but we're not to do it so that everybody in the community sees how great we are. Yeah, sure, give the homeless person on the corner a meal, but don't like hand them the the meal, and as you do, honk and honk and honk, so that every other car around you sees you do it. It's not necessary. In fact, it it's distracting and detracts from the actual purpose. So our Father who sees in secret will reward us. Same with prayer then. They stand on the street corners and in the synagogues and they pray, again hoping to be seen and noticed by men. And this is what Jesus is rejecting. Go into your room, pray in secret. Your Father will see in secret and reward you. In verse 7 and 8, same thing. Gentiles pray, they heap up empty phrases. They just think that by the length of their prayers they'll be heard and they'll be better. This isn't the case either. Now, on that note, we probably shouldn't take this to say don't pray for like 60 seconds. You can pray for two seconds and it's enough. I don't know that there's any of us that prays enough. But the point is, again, not before men. The goal is not to have a lengthy prayer in front of people so they think how great that guy is. I mean, look at how he can phrase a prayer. I wish I could pray like that. That's the negative here. Do we have to do it this way? Can we pray in public? Can we pray with other people? A good family conversation. And the answer to that is yes. But the focus isn't on you. The focus is on glorifying God. This is what the prayers of the church seek to do. Even though sometimes those can feel long, that's again connected probably to the fact that we're just not that accustomed to praying because we feel like we don't have time for it as a culture and a society, even in our church today. So Jesus, acknowledging that our Father knows our needs before we even ask, he gives us the Lord's Prayer to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer because the Lord gave it to us. It's taught here in Matthew chapter 6. It also shows up in Luke's Gospel. They're not quite the same. The reason for that, most likely, is Jesus probably taught this prayer multiple times in multiple different villages to different groups of people. And so Matthew and Luke are recording... The prayer that they heard Jesus give at different times, or in Matthew's case here, the one that's been relayed to him because he's not present in this text, he's not called as a disciple just yet, we'll see that later. The didache, one of the first century documents that many believe is from the apostles, but we're not sure on that for certain, so it's not in scripture, but a first century teaching nonetheless. It instructs us to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Luther, in his small catechism, even more. Basically, how many, however many times you eat a meal, pray it before and after, so twice a meal. And then once when you wake up, once when you go to bed. If you eat three meals a day, Luther just encouraged you to pray the Lord's Prayer eight times a day. So what is the Lord's Prayer? Well, you know it, most likely, if you're listening to a podcast like this. Our Father in Heaven. So it recognizes his location, of where he is, he reigns from heaven above. Hallowed be your name, so hallowed, holy, that his name would be holy among us, that we would respect and honor him. Your kingdom come, and that is praying for God's kingdom to come to us, that Jesus indeed would welcome us into his kingdom. Your will be done instead of ours on earth as it is in heaven, an acknowledgement that God rules over both, and we want him to rule here not our own sinful natures, not the devil. Give us this day our daily bread as a prayer for God to give us all of our needs, including food, but not limited to. As Jesus said back in the temptations to the devil in Matthew 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Forgive us our debts, sins, trespasses, transgressions, that kind of idea. We're indebted to the ones that we've harmed. Also, as we have forgiven our debtors, that's going to come back in verses 14 and 15, so we'll hold off on that phrase for now. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I already slipped. It's not evil in the Greek. It's the evil one. It's very specifically a reference to the devil we're praying for deliverance from. And this is good. Now, the temptation line has recently even been changed by the Roman Catholic Church in English because there was too much concern that this made people think that God was the one tempting them. But the real picture here is when you think of who tempts you, our own sinful nature, the world around us, the devil, these are our enemies. And we're asking God not to join our enemies, It is bad enough that the enemies are against us. If the Lord were to turn against us, how terrible it would be. So God, do not turn against us, but instead deliver us from our enemies. That's the the idea, the picture that we see going on with the actual text. Now, verse 14 and 15, again connecting back to 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you forgive others, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you or trespasses, this is one that most well-meaning Christians reject. And they just say, Jesus doesn't mean that. That's a really dangerous thing to say about the words of Jesus. But I've heard it from many fellow pastors even as well, that this is not what it says in plain words. That our forgiveness does not depend on us forgiving others for the clear meaning of the text, and so that Jesus' words remain Jesus' words, I'm going to point you to others of Jesus' words. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant, who has a debt of 10,000 talents that he owes to his master. He goes before the master, pleads for more time. Like, he could actually pay that off. It's impossible. It's like thousands of lifetimes worth of income. He's not going to pay it back. It's too much. And the master simply forgives it and sends him away. How would you expect that man to then live? You would expect him to live in the same generosity that has been given to him, right? But instead he goes out, he finds a man who owes him a hundred denarii, which is roughly three months worth of pay. It's not an insignificant amount. Like somebody owes you 20 grand or something like that. And he doesn't forgive him. The guy pleads, same plea that he begged his master of before, and he rejects it. He throws him in prison. He doesn't live in his master's forgiveness. And so when the master learns of it, the master takes that away from him. And this is the picture here as well. You are in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross. His forgiveness has expanded over the entirety of this creation. For every man, woman, and child, every sin ever committed. The trouble here with these passages then is if we choose, like that unmerciful servant, to say, no thanks to that forgiveness, I'm going to walk in my own way. It's a walking away from it. It's a rejection of God's forgiveness when we fail to forgive others. When we refuse to forgive others might be a better way to phrase that because there are times, yes, when we fail. But it's that outright refusal, that unrepentance at that point. To withhold forgiveness is to sin against your neighbor and against the Lord. So when we don't walk in it, we're walking outside of the Lord's way of being. We are... We are withholding forgiveness from others. We are asking God to withhold his forgiveness from us. Fasting is the next one. Again, just like everything else so far in the chapter has been the idea of not doing this to be seen. And so they, they distort their faces so that people notice that, oh, how much suffering he's going through for God. Look how great he is. Instead, like Joseph, when he's before his brothers and he has to leave and cry and then he washes his face and comes back composed. Or, you know, how we do it if we've not gotten quite enough sleep and we, we try to cover that, we wash our face and maybe put on makeup if you're a lady to try to conceal that tiredness. So we to do with fasting. Don't fast so others see you. Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth. This is a bit of a shift now in its meaning. Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. Anything you have in this world does not last. It perishes. So instead, lay up treasures where they don't perish. Treasures in heaven, that is to serve the Lord and to love him and to seek Christ. That you would get to be with Christ forever. That is the treasure of heaven. This text has led to our congregation using faith chess with baptism that... We're trying to teach our children, they look like a treasure chest, but we fill them with baptismal gown, the cloth, the baptism certificate, the candle, uh, children's Bibles, regular Bibles, anything that's going to point them to their faith in Christ, reminding them of what's truly valuable in this world. It's not stuff. It's not their toys. It's not a pile of gold. It's Christ. It's faith. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you treasure the stuff of this world, you're not going to want to leave it behind. Idols grow. Hard Hearts harden. Verse 22 and 23 is a little tricky. Um, this is not the way we would normally speak. Jesus talks about the eye almost as like absorbing light into your body. And so what you see then has, a, has an impact on what you do. Maybe we can compare this to lust and coveting. That is, we look to somebody else as an object, or look at what they have as an object to be had for our own good. We're filling ourselves with darkness rather than light. This is not helpful. We're not caring for others as we're supposed to. Verse 24, pretty well known, you cannot serve both God and money. You'll end up despising one of the two idols. And this isn't just money, it's anything. You cannot serve God and blank. God and country, God and family, God and job, God and children. It doesn't matter what the second word ends up, I guess technically the third word, and is the second. If we have something else that we're trying to uphold at the same level as God, they won't both stay there. That pedestal can only hold one, and we often in our sinful nature will choose the idol. So it's a danger, and Jesus is warning against that. The rest of the text, fairly well-known section on not worrying, so maybe a family conversation about the things that you worry about. But notice the way Jesus phrases these things. The birds of the air neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Yes, you are. He created you. He loves you. He cares for you. He died on the cross to save you, to speak of Christ himself. Consider the lilies and how they grow. Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He's considered the richest man ever. God cares for his people. Verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Literally in the Greek, it would be a single cubit to his span of height, to his height. So can you worry and make yourself grow? This is considered to be such a little thing, such a minor thing. But our growth comes from God. God is the one who determines if you're 5 feet tall or 6 foot 6. A cubit, by the way, is a foot and a half, 18 inches. God makes that choice, not us. I can worry about it all I want. It's not going to change. So why should I think otherwise for other things? My worrying is not going to put food on the table. My worrying is not going to care for my family. Trust in the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Serve him. Don't put these other things at the forefront. Love God, love your neighbor. Trust that he'll care for you. It's not easy. I can say it a lot easier than it is, but this is the call of the Christian. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. So and we can worry all we want about days to come. There's no point. There's work to do today. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Take care of the tasks at hand. I love your neighbor who's right here in front of you right now instead of thinking about 17 weeks from now and what you have to do with the summer. It's not helpful. God provides. Let's trust him to provide thanks be to God for all that he has given for us, including salvation through his son, Jesus Christ.